Why do we get married, have children, and work? What is business's role in the midst of pandemic and police violence? How do we apply love and virtue to our work at home and in business? Those are some of the questions we asked Lee Bridges, Senior Product Manager at XOI, on this episode of the Fortune's Path podcast, where we explore the role of virtue in work and family to remind you that fortune is often found in the path of reason. I'm Tom Noser. At 36, Lee Bridges is in his second career. A father of two, a boy of three, and a girl of three months, Lee is a believer in the power of design-driven product development. Lee started as an entrepreneur in the music industry. We built and sold the technology business that helped musicians. Today, he's a senior product manager with XOI. XOI helps field service technicians document job sites, access equipment and training materials, and virtually collaborate with other technicians easily and across any mobile device. You can learn more about XOI at XOI.io. So I'm going to start off, Lee, with a uh, a simple question. Okay. Why do you exist? (laughs) Why do I exist? Well, um, personally or in a work uh, setting? Uh, Either way you want to take it. It's easier for me to answer that from a personal aspect, honestly, which sounds a little weird because, you know, with a job title or with a, a company, there there's definitely a purpose there. But that purpose isn't necessarily why I exist. I think I exist to try to get better every day. And um, that's, that's really my goal and that the way I've chosen to live my life. And that means a lot of different things. You know, I try to pick one thing at a time to try to get better at. And sometimes that's work related and sometimes that's personal. Mm -hmm. But I think trying to just do my best in all aspects of my life is kind of my purpose. That's why I exist. You told me a story about uh, being in the music business and, and then leaving that business. Um, tell me, tell me that story again, a little bit about how you got into it and why you decided to leave it. Cause I think it relates to that idea of purpose. Yeah. I had been in music for 10 years, uh, had a really good career, um, a lot of success, uh, but I didn't see necessarily that success existing for decades and decades. And it's kind of in the music business, it's a constant, um, it's a constant grind to prove yourself and be the cool guy and be the the uh, cool kind of sound out there. You have to constantly reinvent yourself, and and it's it's fun. It's uh, it's a challenge, and I like challenges. But um, I did not want to necessarily do that for a really long time. And part of the reason was because I wanted to have a family and I wanted to have uh, a little focus somewhere else and the music business just does not treat families well right um it's it's a hard life to live uh and and coexist with a family unit I don't think entrepreneurship in general treats families well that's true I agree and I think that yeah um so there's a lot of um, spark, idea, interest in 
go do your own thing, let your light shine, you know, go change the world, be an entrepreneur. And um, there's a downside to all that, which is stress and insecurity and not being able to be present. Um, and I think the way we show value in others, the way that we show we love the other people is by being present. Uh, and so uh, uh, tell me about, I mean, you, you are in pretty high stress job in a growing organization. You have people dependent upon you. How do you leave that at the office and be present at home with your kids and your, and your, your wife? It's really hard, but I just try to, you know, walk downstairs right now during COVID mm -hmm. since we're working from home mostly. Uh, and, and put the device in my pocket or put it down somewhere and just go play. Yeah. and feed my daughter uh, a bottle. I work really hard. I'm not a morning person. I I am the opposite of that. But over the years, I've adapted, and I force myself to get started super early so that by, like, mid-afternoon, 3.30-ish to 4, I'm normally starting to disengage from work. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's it's a challenge for me in general because... I'm a planner. I like to think through everything that could happen, and uh, which helps me in work. But it doesn't necessarily help you be present for your family. And so I'd say it's just a struggle. That's yeah. how I do it. I think if we applied that idea of planning to children, nobody would have children. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you look at it, yeah. right, it's like saying, nobody would get married. You know, if, if you look at these occupations, uh, I'll say rationally, um, why would anyone do this? It's expensive, it's uh, time-consuming, etc. Um, and yet I, I can't imagine my life without being a husband or without being a father. It would seem incredibly empty. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there's so many, uh, I was telling my wife, Anna, that um, when my, our children talk about us, they describe her as courageous, strong, brave, and when they talk about me, they're like, well, he's sweet and cuddly. Um, and for, for a while, I, I really took offense at that. I was like, well, I'm, aren't I supposed to be, I'm the husband, I'm supposed to be the strong, courageous one. But it's not, it isn't that way actually at all. And I'm really grateful because she's brought out so much more in me. She's allowed, or she's helped our family grow and made me take risks and made me do things I never would have done. And that's like, why do you have kids? Or why do you, why do you start a business for that matter? Well, because you don't feel like you have any other choice. Um, mm -hmm. So I think I think people who are real, true entrepreneurs, um, I think they're, they are amazing. They're fascinating people. I think they're tortured as well, a lot of them. Not all of them. <laughs> um, but a lot of them are absolutely tortured. Yeah, there's definitely a kind of... Um, I've talked with other people about why do some of these things. Why work on a big project? Why... Why do art for artists? Yeah. Why create music whenever it's just criticized or it's just, you know, you're just putting something out there for people to pick apart? It's a very difficult thing to describe. Like, why do you do these things? Like you mm -hmm. said, you feel compelled. It's a, for me, I did start a business after music, and music was a bit like a business. It was a bit like being an entrepreneur because you have to, sell yourself and you have to sell your own services but uh then i started a 
an actual company and an app and did that whole thing. And it was really out of necessity. I wanted to get out of music. I wanted to experiment and try things. And I didn't have any marketable skills. And so I had to do this. I had to just put myself out there and see what happened. So it's um, similar origin story to Fortune's Path. I had been um, had a good career at Hellstream. I got recruited to go somewhere where um, after a year and a half I wasn't the right fit. I knew it, they knew it, and so we we separated. And then I went to a startup. Was there for five months. It was three awesome months and two terrible ones. And at the end of that, they said, you know, we don't think you're quite the right guy. And I knew it was coming when it happened. And then I left there and, and I was like, what am I going to do now? Um, so, you know, I, I could see the writing on the wall. I'd call the headhunter and, and of course they give you the whole, well, we think you're fantastic. It'll be really easy to place you. And then you never hear a thing, nothing, you know, it's like yeah. total yeah. silence. And I, I began, obviously, um, on my last day, I called a close friend who I have tremendous respect for runs a company. And I told him, said, Michael, I just got laid off. And he says, well, I don't have any any jobs, but I have consulting. Are you interested? And I thought, well, okay, sure, I'll do that until something else comes along. Well, nothing came along but consulting. And so it was like the universe was saying to me, this is what you need to do. And so I wish yeah. you know, I could say that, that um, I had a, a bolt of lightning and inspiration and it's an evolution. And I think uh, most businesses are that. And I think as product managers, we're supposed to embrace the concept of evolution. Um, I would say investors are probably a little less comfortable with evolution. They want certainty. <laughs> when are we going to hit these sales goals? You know, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. all that, that's the thing. Every time I do um, plan, I had, I, had a, I had a boss who was, a, he described himself as a recovering CPA. Um, and he said, the only thing I know about a budget is that as soon as it's done, it's wrong. And you know, so it's it's a, a document of priorities. Um, and, um, uh, and in many ways, a moral document, uh, which goes back to purpose. So what is the purpose of the organization? What is the good we're trying to achieve? And uh, I know like in, in my own life, I have, I've been more trial and error then really deliberate about what kind of a man do I want to be? What kind of a husband do I want to be? How do, what kind of a father do I want to be? I knew some things I didn't want to be. Uh, so how much time do you think you spend thinking about the kind of person you want to be? It's a great question. I think it's, I think it's a lot, honestly. Um, I would say a few hours a week, honestly. I think I'm evaluating at least a few hours a week. And that probably includes work, you know, work reflection and also personal. But if I, you know, I can't go to sleep right away, it takes me a bit. And, uh, and that's often what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what I could have done better that day. Mm -hmm. uh, I try not to regret anything, um, but I try to consider what could have been better and and then think how i'm going to do that in the future i think that habit of reflection is a fantastic habit um and then there's mm -hmm. the action that comes after the reflection of do i need to make amends is there anybody i need to talk to about how yeah. i wasn't 
really who I ought to be. Um, but there's in business, there's like there's amends and responsibility. So you don't have to t apologize to take responsibility for something. And I think taking responsibility is a sign of strength. People want mm -hmm. someone to say, I'm responsible for this. It's a relief. And you don't have to do it in a way where you, you know, uh, you like debase yourself. Um, and I think that gets missed. I think people are afraid sometimes of taking responsibility because it's going to sound like they fucked up. Right. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you can make a decision in good faith and and it be the wrong one. And you don't know that until later. And you take responsibility for that. And you move on and say, what did we learn from that? Right. And is there something we can do in the future to prevent that mistake? But there's no point in, in, um, in dwelling on on that or regretting it. Like I said, I, in life, so I have a lot of little philosophies. Uh, I think that comes from reflection and comes from thinking about these uh, improvement goals and things like that. And so one of my philosophies I came to fairly early, actually, I think as a teenager, was if I can be happy right now, or if I can be content right now, there's nothing I should regret because the all the decisions led to this moment and led to this situation. So did I make mistakes? Maybe, probably, we all do. But can I be happy right now? Uh, and the answer to that is most of the time, yes. Uh, and so there's nothing to regret. You just try it. What is there to learn from it? And then let's move forward. That's, it makes me think about products. So, um, yeah. You know, if I'm having if I'm having a positive experience with the product at that moment, the path that it took to get there's no. Don't tell the investors this, but the path that it took to get there is not relevant. <laughs> um, and that's that's really the experience I'm, I want to create when someone uses something. I think this is one one of the things that causes stress for product people is when you know you're working on a product that just isn't that good. And not only is it not that good, nobody seems to really have much of an interest in making it all that good. Because the conversations mm -hmm. around it are about um, essentially maximizing return to shareholders. Um, and businesses don't exist if they don't generate a profit, uh, but they also aren't worth a whole lot if that's all they do. Right. So I'm, I've been asking my family this, I'm curious, in, in the current moment of, um, the uh, protests around George Floyd and the uh, um, almost moral reckoning it kind of feels like uh, we're going through as a, as a people. What obligation do businesses have and what obligations do we have as people in business? That is a really tough one and it's something that I've grappled with on a personal level, not necessarily from a business aspect. So it might take me a minute to kind of form some thoughts here. I think as humans, we have a responsibility to understand each other. And that's, I think, besides people wanting to be loved, I think the next greatest thing that people want is to be understood. And with understanding, a lot of fear drops away. A lot of anger drops away. 
And um, that understanding comes from stories and hearing someone else's story and empathizing with that story. And with that comes the understanding. And with that, fear drops away and love can start to enter in the conversation at that point, but not until that point where you, um, you may think you love someone or something or a situation or something like that, but you don't really until you fully understand it or you understand it greater than just a surface level. You, you have to, uh, get down to feeling something, uh, for that person Mm -hmm. in this situation or this group of people. And so I think businesses could probably help by telling the story of people. Businesses have access to people that other people don't have, you know, that like the, an everyday person may not have. And so I think businesses could really do a service to society by helping to tell those stories and help grow the understanding in society by, um, by just helping to make people visible to other people. Uh, I like what you said about tell a story. How do we um, humanize this in a way without any concern about profit, only a concern about telling the truth? I absolutely believe that truth and love are competitive differentiators that lead to outsized financial performance. And the reason I believe that is because those are the things that we want to become attracted to, that we are attracted to, that we want to be associated with. And if we feel love, if we feel understood, we will put up with no end of garbage. You know? um, and that, that essentially enables an organization to gen- generate monopoly profits. So it's like I'm a prisoner of Google. There, I'm sure there are alternatives mm-hmm. in the world, but I would really have to change my behavior because I fell in love with Google at first sight. And I remember vividly, I got a call from my brother and he says, I think I was using AltaVista at the time, and he said, you should try this thing called Google. And I thought, what a stupid name. And then I went out and I, <laughs> I, I went to it and I was like, I will never use another search engine again. So no matter how mm-hmm. much they abuse me, no matter how much you know, they manipulate me, I'm back over and over and over again because I love them. Um, And now when organizations abuse that love, then eventually, eventually, someone steps in, either another another company uh, or regulation uh, or something happens when the abuse goes on long enough. But you have a lot of great years of Mm -hmm. generating monopoly profits and um, I mean, the, the iPhone's another example of, I remember when that phone was released, my experience was, oh my God, this is what I have always wanted. I never could have articulated yeah. it. I knew I didn't want any of the other smartphones that existed at the time. And then when that- Get one, rid of the Palm Treo. Right. <laughs> that, that be, That's right. Get rid of it. Yeah, and then, so then when that thing was released, it was like, I, 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 I went back to the line at the Apple store twice because I think they were like $850 when they first came out and I thought this is just ridiculous and then they lowered the price not significantly yeah. by like maybe a hundred bucks and I was like okay I'll buy it now 
you know so yeah. it was it was they were abusing me they were like how how much will you you love us so much how are you willing how much are you willing to pay so i absolutely believe that love and understanding are totally differentiating features that can generate monopoly profits mm-hmm. and generate market fit yeah because you and that's um that's really what market fit is is an understanding of the users and uh, a desire to take care of their problems for them and um so i think i think that understanding can lead to market fit which is what the you know the goal of every startup yeah. is before they enter growth mode they got to get market fit and then the investors come running right that's, that's right the story at least that's right you just have to turn <laughs> all we have to do is pour a little gas in this fire that's right we got yeah. we just it's just a sales and marketing thing um, <laughs> it's always fun when you get involved in one of those companies when you're you're in the interview process and they say it's just a sales and marketing thing and then you get into the organization and you go actually the product is totally broken uh, <laughs> it's just everybody has the expectation because everyone's been saying that this thing works and we have market fit because nobody wants to own up to the fact that we really don't know what we're doing yep so speaking of interviews I have a question I want to ask you that I got asked in an interview, and I think this is one of my now becoming one of my favorite interview questions for um, uh, product interviews, which is, "What is your favorite product, and why?" Or just, "What's a product you admire?" I love Notion, which is a note-taking slash database um, app. A lot of people would. You know, a lot of people exited Evernote into Notion as users. That's what I did. I used to be a heavy Evernote user, but really Notion is kind of its own thing. It's like a a mashup of Airtable and Evernote. It's deceptively simple. It presents itself as like a blank canvas, but behind that blank canvas is just like tons of depth. And I've done kind of crazy things with it, you know. I've been able to track user research in a really mm -hmm. good way. And I've been able to track my work through projects and tasks and, and notes all in the same place, you know. Whenever I kick off a project, having the notes there and being able to, like, instantly create a task from my notes and uh, have that populate into a, a master list of tasks I need to get done. And there, it's it can be very complicated if you want it to be, which I want it to be because I, I love that depth to it. Mm -hmm. Or it can be really simple. You open up a new doc, document and you take some notes and you close it. So it it's as it's as complicated as you want it to be or as simple as you want it to be. And I just love that kind of approach. And uh, they, they obviously have a love of simplicity. They've tried to take this really complex idea and break it down to just its most basic level. It's interesting. And, so I've tried Notion yeah. and I've struggled with it. So I've had it recommended by a lot of people yep. who I respect. And I'm an Airtable guy. I, I adore Airtable. Um, and one of the things I like about Airtable is they don't change it a whole lot. And when they do change it, the changes feel pretty subtle. Um, so uh, all these products eventually get to feature bloat. There's like this wonderful period sure. 
you know, there's the Goldilocks period in a product where it's not too many features, not too few, you're just right, and then everybody screws that up. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, but I've, I, Notion for me felt like something foreign. But the point I think you're making is that we, software gives us the opportunity to make visible the way that we think. And um, I'm not sure I actually want to see the way I think, but um, you know, <laughs> that. Um, but it, it, we have the chance to abstract things so much that it becomes an enabler of how we think. You know, there's that famous ridiculous scene in, um, oh, it's the uh, Tom Cruise movie where he's moving everything around on the on the screen and. Um, it's oh, based on yeah, a Philip yeah, K. Dick report. Thank you. Yeah, it's based on a Philip K. Dick story, and yeah. you know, it's like so. You want to? Is that how you want to be able to do? It? It's like physically shuffle things around. Well, that's an interesting idea about one way to think. We have these teeny little screens that, that get smaller all the time, um, and are they? How much of it is our interaction with that machine based upon the conventions and the expectations of that machine, or? So a reflection of the way that we think. And so I do admire people like Notion or Airtable who, tr who have tried another metaphor. I think all great software has an underlying organizational metaphor, and it's the, it's the power of the product. It's the simplicity, the ultimate simplicity that powers that product. And the product gets suffocated a lot of the time because it gets buried in complexity and, and unnecessary features. But if you, could, if you can remember that of what is our core power. So to me, that like XOI, for instance, the core power for XOI is two people can't be in the same place at the same time, uh, all the time. And so how do you connect those people in an asynchronous way? And you're doing it in the context of a physical blue collar job where there's a lot of crap right. that the Wi-Fi doesn't work. They're constantly measured on how fast they get something done, how they get to the next thing. So anything that gets in the way of that time measurement, like you see, anytime you see somebody, like I see UPS guys sprinting from the truck to the door, back to the truck. Well, the HVAC guys under that same pressure of, mm -hmm. I gotta get a number of jobs done in a day. And so everything you're doing is around that experience of, don't get in his way. Don't get in his way. Um, and uh, uh, so anyway, that's one of the things I love about XOI is, is that it's found this central uh, power of we uh, connect people who can't be there together. And, but we, uh, we do it in a really, really focused way. We're not, it's not, they're defined focused interactions. Like I got to pay a and bill. And it builds trust. Exactly. It builds trust between those people. Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is an industry that's uh, long, you know, been thought of in a similar vein as a car mechanic. You know, mm -hmm. we don't mm -hmm. understand these machines like the yeah. technicians do. Mm -hmm. So how can we trust them? How can we trust that whenever they say we need to replace this thing for a thousand dollars, how do I know that that's true? Um, and so this this software, this application makes it possible to build that trust between those people mm -hmm. that really may not have a common denominator between them other mm -hmm. than this unit that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. um, 
and so it's a way to to build that trust between the people which i love yeah i think um it is it is rewarding to be involved in something that you feel like actually um improves relationships so sticking on that theme of relationships for a minute i want to ask about i asked you earlier about your favorite product do you have a favorite family moment do you have a favorite thing or just a notable one that sticks out and why is that one important to you i'd have to think through like my growing up to think through that part of the family because there are a lot of points i could choose for my immediate family right now i have a three-year-old his name is braylon and a few months before covid we started going to the trampoline park and those are some of my favorite moments with him even though he's only three we started going whenever he was two even and uh but just he loves it just the 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 excitement on his face and being able to interact with him in that way it's some of the first instances of like connecting to him outside of the home in a way that's like a new experience for him it's a new experience for me we're having fun um there's just a lot of emotion there and um my wife of course is there so we're all having fun you know we uh jump around together and so i'd say that's in the last year that's probably one of my favorite memories is the first couple times we went to the trampoline park have you um that that makes me think about um customer observations um, so you said that there was this moment where you were together, experienced something new, and that your son was like, wow, this, this thing is really awesome. And that um, enthusiasm radiates to you and to your wife, and mm-hmm. you have this experience of like, it's shared love, where we're all together, and the trampoline is, is the, um, the thing that instigates it, but then there's that like feeling uh, that goes like well past the trampoline. Um, and I think, and that, that's like, I want that in customer observations. I want the people <laughs> who are using the product. Now, not, not, not everything needs to be life-changing. There's plenty of products. I have pens. The only thing I want out of a pen is for it to work. You know, um, So it doesn't have to revolutionize my life. But even something as simple as like it doesn't get in the way. It doesn't force me to do something else. Um, uh, so anyway, I, was, uh, I have a family story um, about. Um, uh, I have a lot. I mean, I have, I have a lot of different family memories, but this is one that won't sound like it should be a favorite, um, but it's still something that's it's very important to me. So uh, when we had two kids, we weren't necessarily planning on having a third. Um, and my wife and I had done, had sat down with a friend of mine and he did one of those free financial assessments and they tell you like how much you need to save for retirement and stuff. And, and basically mm-hmm. we got out of it and he said, <clears throat> you're gonna be okay. And um, two days later we found out my wife was pregnant. And Anna comes into me, I'm bathing my son Joe um, in the tub and Anna comes in and she's like, I had two days of financial security. Um, <laughs> and now it's like, this is, what are we going to do? And I'm, I'm um, uh, sort of, I can be very short-sighted. And so 
when she told me she was pregnant, I was like, well, this is wonderful. You know, we're going to have another kid. This is fabulous. And Anna felt that, but she's also smarter than me. And so she understands there's risk. Um, and uh, so we went to see the Predators with some friends. And uh, it was very early, back when the Predators were fun. And um, <laughs> we came home and... Um, Anna started to uh, started to bleed, and my heart and her heart both just sank. About oh my God, we could lose this baby, mm-hmm. and nothing mattered other than that. That is that baby going to be okay? And uh, and it, thank God it was. He's my twenty year old son, um, and so we were transformed where any concern became totally secondary uh, that was the the doubt the fear of the future was gone it was all about uh, is Ted going to be okay we didn't know he was named Ted at that time but um, and uh, so Marriage and, and raising children for me is, uh, it's that transformative growth. It's making me do things I don't want to do. And mm-hmm. I think good work is the same way. You know, it's like there's, it's not supposed to always be fun when we're at the office. It shouldn't always be fun, but it should always be meaningful. It should always feel like um, I, I am supposed to be here. I'm doing the right thing, even though it's really hard. And when you have enough days in a row where it just feels like I'm here increasing value to shareholders and that's it, um, well, then, you know, I think it's time to do something else. It's hard to uh, take that leap sometimes, but I think you're right. That is a powerful story. And, um, yeah, that's, I think we all, we had a, we had to work very hard to have children and um, we couldn't have them ourselves through biological means. So we, we've had to rely on others to help us have, uh, have children. And so some of those moments we've had similar experiences and it's either going to galvanize or it's going to tear us under, you know, there's, there's a, a power there that is hard to reckon with and it's either going to strengthen bonds or or tear you apart and luckily lucky luckily enough for us i'll start that over so we can cut it <laughs> <laughs> luckily enough for us it it galvanized we we had years of struggles and those moments are some of the most powerful ones are you know you feel powerless and then that moment becomes very powerful for you in the long run and it's a moment of authenticity it's a moment of like just pureness in its like severity it's uh those moments can really form who you are yes absolutely and um 
So in a way that um, every business right now uh, has been given a gift, it's the gift of crisis. And every business has an opportunity to rise up to, um, to meet that and to do it in a way where they build trust and where they uh, establish a legitimate connection. Um, so my, my old company, Housestream, has spent a lot of time um, giving things away. And um, they uh, have basically said, it's not time to sell, it's time to be of service. And from what I understand, I, I haven't talked to my old boss, Bobby Frist, in a long time, but from what I understand, Bobby's having a great time. He's like uh, have, having regular meetings with the company and he's helping them get through the isolation of working from home and trying to maintain the culture. And this crisis for him is incredibly energizing. Um, and then I see, you know, other, let's just pick on Zuck for a second. Um, so, um, you know, Jack Dorsey grows a conscious and it's a wonderful thing. And Zuck says, um, you know, I think I'd rather just be rich. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and hides in his thing of, um, well, we're going to let everybody make up their own mind. And, and it, to me, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's what you said. This either galvanizes us or it tears us asunder. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've deleted my Facebook account and been a Facebook basher for years. And so I'm hoping they get torn asunder. Um, and, you know, if they I'll, I'll be cheering, you know, over, over their grave if they go down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, but um, you know, it's, it's just say, okay, well, it's, um, Noser's just jealous, maybe. Um, but um, I do think that we're all that this crisis is an opportunity for us to. Um, it's a it's a gift. It's a tragedy for the people who are hurt, for people who lose their lives, who lose their livelihoods. Um, it's horrible, but all of us have an opportunity also. Um, to be of service, and um, you know that's uh, that's pretty cool too. Do you follow Simon Sinek at all? I've watched some of his stuff, so I wouldn't call myself a follower. Um, but yeah. tell me why you bring him up. Well, he had a very interesting take, and I can't necessarily quote him on any of this. And I'm more, you know, I've read a book of his, and I've seen some videos. You know the the power of why or, yeah. mm -hmm. um, all of that's great but he posted a video I think I saw it on LinkedIn of all places I'm not on LinkedIn very often but I mm -hmm. saw it on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and um, he was talking about the basically the opportunity here and the opportunity to to be aggressive in a you know, not defensive, but aggressive in our decision making to move forward. And um, I think that speaks to the, you know, how, how situations like this can galvanize companies and people and um, individuals. It's, it's a situation where it can really focus you. Mm -hmm. And I think for XOI, it, it's done that as well. We've really been focused on I mean, we're lucky enough that our our app empowers people to communicate and build trust without 
face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, so there's a lot of luck there, but we leaned into it almost immediately and adjusted priorities for that. And as you said, uh, became a little more human uh, from my perspective. I'm not a part of that, uh, you know, team that's making decisions on how to sell the product or um, how we're going to respond to this in a sales way necessarily. But we've, from my perspective, it, that gives me a little bit of a forest for the trees mm -hmm. type of uh, perspective. You know, I can applaud their decision to give people five months for free because of this or whenever people call up and say we can't make our payments I know we signed a contract we can't make our payments um, I am very proud of a company that said you know what we'll you know let's take a break for a couple months and uh, and we'll be here whenever you're ready you know like that's a that's a really cool thing to be a part of and to be able to to help companies through this time and not say, oh, and here's the bill, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, let's let's help you first and get to a better place. And then we'll we'll figure the rest out. So that brings that's a great way for me to go into my uh, last question. Um, what is your favorite virtue and why? Hmm. That's a hard one. I would say. I don't know if this, okay, let me think about this for a second time. Sure. You caught me off guard. That's right. I would, I would say, I'd say empathy is, um, is a very important virtue and it's, it's one of my favorites because it's been the most powerful for me in my personal life. I think I, I grew up with a lot of privilege, a lot of help, and just ideal circumstances in a lot of ways. And I think it wasn't until I you know, branched out, I moved away from home, I met people that weren't like me, and I started to understand that um, that in a lot of ways, we're all the same. And that helped me build empathy for, for others and for, it, it gave me a desire to learn stories, as I was mentioning earlier, and to understand people better. And I think that has made me a much better person. I'm not saying I'm the best person. There's a lot of work to be done. But empathy has definitely led me down a path of self-improvement. And I think it, I've, it's also helped me um, form better bonds with people and, and things like that. I love empathy. I think, um, I think you may have said this to me once. Empathy is the product management superpower. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think that um, without that, we're kind of sunk. Um, I have to understand how to uh, influence people. I have to understand how to um, articulate needs they can't articulate themselves. 
And to do that, I absolutely have to be empathetic. Um, so I, I see, you know, I love the classic concept of virtue, which is that it's the golden mean between two vices. So if I think of empathy as being the golden mean between callousness and codependence, and that I want to be still be able to maintain independent action where I'm not trying to um, manipulate an outcome to make somebody feel better. That to me isn't real empathy. But empathy is mm-hmm. what, what you talked about earlier when you were talking about the our responsibility as people, as organizations, which is to try to feel what someone else feels, to love that person. Um, mm-hmm. And I think um, we get sentimental about love, we get sentimental about empathy. Um, both, particularly love, can also be defined in a business context as a fair exchange of value. But that means the more I give, the more I get. The more I add to that relationship, the more I get out of it. Um, And uh, so anyway, I love empathy too. Yeah, I think I've been, I think you mentioned that definition of love uh, earlier to me in a different conversation. And I, it's very intriguing to me. I, I grew up with a, um, with what I consider a fairly unique definition of love. It came from my father. And at one point he told me, uh, we were probably talking about, you know, love in a teenager sense or something. I was talking about loving a girlfriend or something. And he told me, love's not an emotion. Love is a commitment. And um, that stuck with me through the years for decades now where I I think of love as as a way of committing myself to another person or another cause that's outside of myself. And uh, there's no way to do that without empathy. And there's no way to uh, fully commit to another person or another idea without, uh, you know, trying to put yourself in their place. So um, we'll, we'll wrap it up with something kind of rapid fire. You got, you're talking to your uh, 20 early product management self. You're just starting your career in product management. What advice do you give to your early product management self? You got three things. Three things you can tell yourself. Um, make a decision quickly. But keep learning after you make the decision. And then change your mind. Those are really good. Those aren't as good as mine. I mean, mine, mine aren't as good as those. <laughs> those are really good. I was, I was, let me see what I was thinking about. Um, you're going to be good at this. Um, lean into listening. So that's your strength and play to your strength. Um, and uh, it's okay to be wrong. Um, but uh, yeah. don't stay wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's similar there mm-hmm. at the end uh, to kind of – my uh, theme that mm-hmm. I was going for. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Well, Lee, this was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for me uh, too. for coming and doing this with me. Yeah, of course. Anytime. I'd love to do it again if the opportunity ever comes up. Uh-huh. But uh, I really uh, have been happy with this, happy with the conversation as always, Tom. It's yeah. uh, It's fantastic every time. Thank you so much. 
Fortune's Path podcast is a production of Fortune's Path, where we help businesses implement product management culture to plan more insightfully, lead more effectively, and grow more rapidly. Deep thinking, hardworking, always learning, Fortune's Path, because fortune is often found in the path of reason. Special thank you to Lee Bridges for being our guest and for editing this episode. Music for the Fortune's Path podcast is by Ted Noser. I'm Tom Noser. Thanks for listening, and I hope we meet along Fortune's Path.